0: This program is for educational purposes. It fits within YouTube's guidelines under the context of science.
1: I tell you what, man. I mean, I'll just spill the beans on this, this thought that I've had for a while. I've told a bunch of people about this, I think just in private messages. But so everyone knows like is, you know, has this reparative effect. You know, it's great for repairing and, and you know, connective tissue and for people that have inflammation and injuries and what have you, and it's anti-inflammatory, but it seems like it's, it has an anabolic effect. Hmm. And I, I've dug in the literature and I haven't seen anything that, you know, um, that, you know, suggests it acts like an androgen or something like that, or, you know, it acts like insulin or what have you. The mechanisms it's been a little while since i looked but the mechanisms aren't, aren't, there's like one thing it does is upregulates growth hormone receptors,
0: you hmm. know,
1: that, that's been known for quite a while, but it hasn't anobo- it's probably connected to its effect on connective tissue. But if you think about what it does, it's a gut-derived protein. So it's, it's found inside your stomach um, and in your gut where there's just massive cellular turnover. Hmm. And I think it's there very much in part um, to stimulate those cells into repairing themselves because you've got a really caustic environment yeah. inside the stomach. Like the pH is very, very low. For chemical digestion of food before it gets to the enzymatic digestion in the um, in the small intestine through the pancreatic enzymes, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's got anabolic properties. If it can let you heal, if, if it's like if it sort of makes you into a little bit of um, you know a, an animantium uh, type of person, you know, makes you into a, what's his name, the uh, superhero. Wolverine type of person, it gives you the sort of Wolverine yeah. know, property. Yes. It's going to give you. It's it has a potential for anabolic growth as well. I think. So I'm waiting. I haven't seen anyone. It's kind of pricey, uh, but it's probably less than growth hormone, and maybe and definitely less than I think you know the real IGF one. Yeah. Um, but I, I haven't heard of anyone trying to use it in large amounts. You know, to see if it makes you grow. If it's like a you know.
0: Andrew Barry and I have both talked about higher than what people would usually suggest, yeah, like up to two milligrams a day. And I, I I take a milligram yeah. every yeah. after training, okay. you know, that night. So yeah, yeah, I train two or three o'clock, and then at around ten somewhere there seven. Mm-hmm. excuse me about yeah nine nine ten o'clock at night then i'll take one milligram and i have gone higher andrew's talked about taking two so i i, I do think there's something to it man and i do think there's there's an there's an anti-inflammatory quality to it because oh, yeah you know i've That's had sure. issues where it, you know it, i'll get a a nagging pain like bicep tendonitis running through that front head of my shoulder and it's aching it's aching i take one shot of bpc and that pain is gone in a few hours and it doesn't come back, mm. you know, and it tells me there's an yeah. anti-inflammant something or another happening in there. Cause that inflammation yeah. gets zapped, you know?
1: And I, I wonder, you know, this is the interesting thing. I mean, inflammation normally you think of, and I'm just trying to piece together cause it seems it's, it's anti-inflammatory, but it's also helping with repair. Yes. And this is what like that original study with rats where they, where they created a, um, a rotator cuff injury and literally the rotator cuff healed itself. So it's really powerfully reparative in its effects. And I would think, I have this sense that, that it may not be you know, anti-inflammatory in terms of it's blocking the inflammatory process, hmm. but rather it's um, enhancing the process of repair uh-huh. And thereby, you have a reduction in what we typically see and sense as being inflammation. Yeah, so you don't get all the swelling and the redness because instead of having to like bring in like a, you know a whole army, you can just bring in a smaller troop of the huh. immune system because they're all supercharged. You got you're making it's making your immune system and all the all the effects all things that go on with repair of damaged tissue into super troopers. Yeah, you know super soldiers as opposed to oh shit we got this giant inflammatory thing that so it's just speeding everything up it's just enhancing everything huh. it seems like you know this yeah. is how i've kind of pieced it together so it may actually um there there's probably a, a technical word for this slipping my mind now. So it wouldn't say pro-inflammatory but it's, it's it may be like literally enhancing the inf- inflammatory rep- uh, response so you don't have the you're, you're, it's make it increases efficiency.
0: Yeah, you don't yeah. have to
1: have as much inflammation, and you get more repair out of what is normally you know requires that inflammatory response. Because there's a you know a, a secondary um, a f- action, like an important part of inflammation, is to make the person or the animal aware that there's an injury there, so they don't use it. Right, the pain is there to you know keep you from. Um, you know, you're building the bridge. It keeps cars off the bridge while it's under construction. Otherwise, you just fuck up the things you're trying to build. Yeah. So, um, but it seems like it's, you know, it's just, it's just soup it's just speeding up the bridge repair.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's not blocking the inflammation. It's actually just making it more efficient, making it better. That's my I like guess. that.
0: I like that. It's a good yeah. guess, and I feel like we don't need to do an intro at this point because we've we already said some cool stuff that I think is worth yeah. keeping in the podcast. So, guys, all right, we're done. You're, you're watching done. Muscle Minds uh, episode. I think this is 121 ish, maybe. We're we're right up there. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, Scott Stevenson here. I'm Scott McNally. Our programming is brought to you by TrueNutrition.com. So check them out. They support our programming. You can support us by supporting them. Use our code Think. And uh, check out Scott's book, dyobbcoach.com, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. Scott, we had uh, we actually got a, a, a question in the live feed. I think this will tie right in with our first question. He says, uh, Leo, uh, says, could you uh, point out some pros and cons of using metformin for bodybuilding and timing? And that kind of tied in because you had a question here. Uh, can I pull this whole question up, Scott, from your uh, screen capture?
1: If I don't know, I um, have to go I'll, and see. I asked both. I'll just people, read like, it.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just read it. He says, uh, "I have a question about glucose readings. Uh, I have some clients check theirs, and it's helped out a, lo- uh, a lot. Uh, troubleshooting diets." carb loading, uh, when to give them high days, etc. If someone's carbs are not high and blood glucose is still above 90 in the morning, is it possible they're eating too much protein? And he had kind of a follow-up there, and this is where I think it ties in uh, to Leo. He says, uh, I've already applied uh, bitter melon and berberine to help. I've noticed that more uh, endomorphic types, uh, they seem to have not as good of insulin sensitivity uh, and i'm trying to get their diets to work better for their body type
1: okay so um what he said about uh the somatotyping that the um that the heftier um, endomorphic type of folks would tend to have higher blood glucose that totally makes sense that's what you see yeah. you know generally the heavier you are the more body fat you have have the more adipose um central adipose you have or visceral fat you have the more likely you are to have higher blood glucose um as a big caveat well, let me pull you back up here i was looking something up um not sure if he's working with enhanced athletes or or non-enhanced natties but what you can find of course is that blood glucose can be elevated from growth hormone use so someone i'm Sounds like this is all about people who are dieting down to try to lose fat. If they're using growth hormone, that will el- can elevate the um, resting blood glucose levels. It's part of what what it, what growth does. And if you're looking to measure insulin sensitivity, and I've said this a million and one times, but it, it it's it's I don't know. I, I haven't heard other people mention this, so maybe that's why um it doesn't come kind of feedback in the questions. You can use the H O M A index. It's a homeostatic method for measuring insulin sensitivity. You can actually find a calculator, an online calculator. All you do is just get your fasted um, insulin levels and glucose levels and you multiply those two things together. Because you can be someone who has good insulin sensitivity. Um, you'll see this in people who are like dieted down and they're like, you know, within a week or a month from a show, super lean, their insulin sensitivity is super high, but they're using growth hormone. And they have high blood glucose levels, so the HOMA index is what's used in, in research. And you're, so you're missing part of the puzzle. You're looking at just the level of glucose in the blood, and what's important there to determine whether you're insulin sensitive or not is if it's high. That would suggest insulin insensitivity or insulin resistance. But if it's hot a little bit higher than you know what you would want, other things being considered equal. But it's able to stay there with a really low level of insulin. So your, your basal insulin levels are really low that suggests you've got really a high insulin sensitivity. It doesn't take much insulin to keep your blood glucose at that level. It's just being regulated at a higher level than what you normally would be, and that's one of the effects of, of growth So it's just sort of upping everything in terms of the blood glucose level. So um, that's a, just something to consider. Uh I don't. I would not suspect, if you look at the studies, the literature is a little bit mixed, but generally protein isn't something that's going to cause, um, in the intervention types of studies, you're not going to get insulin insensitivity from eating more protein. Hmm. What you do find sometimes, um, epidemiologically, is that more protein consumption tends to track with poor insulin sensitivity. And to some degree, that's because your standard American diet contains a lot of fatty meats, and it's really the fat that's, that's playing the role there. Yeah. Um, and that also if you sort of kind of tease out the, 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 the science of the matter, you find that the higher protein intake or individuals who have higher blood levels of like the branched chain amino acids in particular mm-hmm. also are people who have more body fat hmm. and more body fat generally means more poor insulin sensitivity, more insulin resistance. Hmm. So, um, more bits and pieces. You're trying to like you know cover this from all angles. So if someone's dieting down, and this is an, it's an easy way he could sort of uh, test out his, his thought that maybe the protein's the issue. I doubt that it is. But generally, you find that the more body fat someone has the, when they're dieting down, we're in, a, so we're in a caloric deficit now, the less their protein needs are. So they're not going to need to take in. Um, massive amounts of protein. But when you get leaner, or if it's a sort of a person with a normal or average body fat, um, the leaner they get, the more labile that protein is, the more likely it is to be broken down, and the more, the better off you're going to be having more protein in the diet. So, if you've got someone and you're concerned, you haven't done a HOMA index measurement, you don't know what their insulin levels are, but they're just got high glucose. As long as you've got them in a caloric deficit, so they should be losing, and they're high in body fat, you don't need to have them you know, at like 500 grams of protein a day or something like that. You can, you can put that down to less than a gram per pound if someone's you know over 20% for a guy, over 30% for a woman, something like that, and they'll be fine. You tend to, the more body fat someone has, just on average, um, when they're dieting down, the more of that weight loss is body fat. So you don't have to have protein in there it's at a high levels to try to preserve the muscle mass the way you would with someone who's, you know, in the single digits, mm. you know, or a woman, you know, who's getting down into the mid-low teens or something like that, really, really lean. So, yeah, it's a kind of a cool question. But the thing that, you know, there's something to say once you kind of know what the person's, how the person's, where and how the person's blood glucose regulates, meal to meal and what have you, but um this is sort of an off kind of a side comment, but a lot of people, because it's science, you know, because you get to make blood measurements, they like to measure blood glucose, like during peak week and to figure out if someone's, you know, how they're how how well they're filling up where the glycogen levels would be, using that sort of a surrogate, the idea being that, you know, once you're sort of spilling over your glycogen levels are full um, then that your glucose levels would start to rise. Mm. And if you, if you, if you were to track that and, and let's say someone over the course of a prep, they do, they've got like biweekly two a two day long refeeds that are very, very similar. And they see mm. about the same time that, for instance, that the glucose levels start to rise like, you know, 36 hours in, and that's when they get really full and they start to spill. Probably you can probably use that as, a, as a, a surrogate measure as a backup measure. But when you're dieted down and you're like four um, percent, your fat cells are really receptive for glucose. Hmm. Everything's insulin sensitive. So you could be you're gonna, you, blood glucose is gonna, could be very, very low, and it's just and, it, and you're, you're insulin sensitive because you're going to be insulin sensitive no matter what you do. Yeah. at that little body fat, you know, or at least for several days. So you're losing out, you're not just looking at what's going on in the muscle when you look at blood glucose levels. It's a function of body fat, just like you kind of said at the beginning answering this question, the more body fat you have, the less insulin sensitivity you have. And the the opposite is true as well. The lower body fat you have, the more insulin sensitivity you have. So the sensitivity of that test of blood glucose as a marker of how much glycogen you got in the muscle, how well you filled up like during a peak week can be greatly diminished in some people if hmm. they're really, really low in body fat, just because you can't tell the insulin, the glucose levels are going to just, they're going to just soak everything up. Hmm. Okay. But if you know from experience that, you know, they spill and everything matches up, then you can use that. Like, ah, okay. We see, you know, the glucose levels start to rise. And once they get to, You know, if they don't get back to 110, you know, an hour after the meal or two hours after the meal, um, then that tells me now we can stop. We don't need the next two meals because they just spill. We go no more. We don't get any fuller. Yeah. So, but you have to have, you have to have, um, done a bio calibration of that basically, in my opinion. Um, or maybe there are guys out there who've done it so long and so much that they, that they know, but I've never seen anyone, um, Discuss it from the whole body system standpoint in that way it just it's just sort of this underlying assumption that the blood glucose levels tell you about the, the skeletal muscle, which is your main depot for glucose, but when you're dieted down, you got a different story so
0: yeah, that makes sense so yeah. I, to carry this on and continue maybe yeah. bringing in then glucose disposal agents can oh, you yeah. t- can you tell us where where would a gDA fit into bodybuilding i guess just to start really basic
1: yeah um i think for this it's really interesting because there's a lot of variability we've talked before about metformin and berberine has some similar actions actually it's can work just as well or better for some people Um, and so what basically what's going on at least in the case of many of the glucose disposal agencies they're turning on amp kinase so they're they're activating a cell a, a, sort of a, an energy system sense an energy sensor in the cell it's big enzyme complex that tells the cell what its energy status is and whether it needs to be taking in and consuming energy um, because there's there's energy consumption going on so it's sort of a, sort of the master switch so to speak um, it actually is, it's, it's, it's counterbalanced by mTOR, which is involved with protein synthesis. So when, when you've got an energy demand, you don't have, your, your energy needs to go to, especially in muscle cells now, we're thinking, um, towards producing energy for muscle contraction, for activity, for doing things. But when you're recovering and when energy demand is low, that's when you could be repairing, that's when protein synthesis would be turned on. So the, the AMPK energy sensor switch and the um, mTOR, the mammalian target of rapamycin, um, those basically interact with one another such that AMPK inhibits mTOR. So back to, the, back to the basics here. The way that the glucose disposal agents work is they turn on AMPK, which tells your cell that it's, it's got a higher energy demand, and it brings in glucose. And, and there seems to be some variability amongst people as to whether they, they, it helps a good bit with, with glycogen and glucose storage. And some people, it makes them flat. Yeah. It will make you more insulin sensitive. Yeah. Um, the thing that I've, that I've always sort of, the, the, it seems like the analogy holds pretty well. It's sort of like how well people, especially like it's considered an off season when someone's doing a lot of cardio and they're trying to gain. Mm -hmm. Some people can do that cardio and they can get insulin sensitivity from that and and eat to offset that energy expenditure. And it seems like for them, and I haven't even seen this really directly studied, but it seems like for them they get a better P ratio um, as they grow, so better muscle relative to fat that's gained. And then other guys, because because of their genetics, probably thousands of things, that cardio, because that's a signal that's counter to the muscle growth signal. So metabolically, a bio, molecular biologically, it's, it's a different signal. It's, it's, um, that doing that cardio, they don't get leg growth. The same way that some people do cardio and their legs just wither away when they're dieting down. Yeah. So you take an endomorphic person who has no problem putting on muscle, um, endomorphic in quotes. Right. putting too much weight on that whole (laughs) somatotype thing. But someone who's got a lot of – just the person who's got a lot of body fat. Gaining body fat is their issue. Uh, Gaining muscle mass is not. And they find they can get away and and gain leg size. It's not a problem when they're doing cardio. But the cardio helps them eat more. It helps keep them leaner. That's a go. You take the same sort of thing. You can almost substitute in this sort of simple way of understanding Um, glucose disposal agent. You can substitute the glucose disposal agent for cardio. So is cardio going to help you? If you have a problem holding on muscle mass, then doing a bunch of cardio is probably not the best way for you to diet down. That's a first step. Try to focus more on diet and doing as much weight training as you can because that's going to preserve muscle mass without overdoing it. In the same vein, glucose disposal agents they basically do molecularly. They do a very similar thing to cardio. They turn on the signal for energy demand that there's a high energy demand, as with cardio, there is a high energy demand. You turn that signal on, that inhibits mTOR, that inhibits protein synthesis, and now you're running counter to um, maintaining or the or at least maintaining a positive protein balance, or at least a balanced protein balance. And because you're you're trying to create this this you're creating this pharmacological signal for energy demand and yeah you get greater insulin sensitivity but also you lose muscle mass yeah um potentially or you inhibit the gains on the yeah. way up
0: i've seen so, it man i've i've seen it happen and like i and i remember this is it, it, it was really popular it's getting popular again that's why i thought this might be a a, a good topic to discuss cuz i there's there's some people out there that are saying you know in bodybuilding right now that like everybody should take metformin that's that's mm-hmm. somebody asked me about it one of my clients asked me about it recently and you know some of these people that are saying this stuff are are pretty well respected um, but I do remember it it about 10 years ago when a lot of people were using Metformin, like two thousand twelve, about ten years ago now, uh, one guy who came to me who was probably like a if we if we were to try to type him, he'd probably be like more of like a mesomorph. And he was working with a big name coach who had him Like just hammering the carbs. Like this guy was eating so many carbs in his off cycle, and he was using metformin with it, and he had like 150 grams intra and blah 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 everything else. Like there was a lot of food in his diet, and he he asked to work with me for a contest prep, and I looked at his diet and I looked at him, and I mean he was in such great shape already, but then we realized, like we came to the conclusion he really didn't grow that much. Like he was eating more than he had ever eaten in his life for an entire off season. And the the changes he made weren't really that big.
1: Yeah. That's that, that, that that's, it just seems to be a huge spectrum of, of. And
0: that was him, you know, that was one, yeah. one person, but that's I've right. also seen it be helpful for like another guy who uh, yeah. w- was very overweight, you know, and, and had a hard time getting lean, And he was a guy that I know he's used metformin even during his off season, you know, I mean, excuse me, even, yeah, like off season and in in through dieting and stuff. And he's done really well with it. He's one of the guys who says it gives him a better pump, as a matter of fact, whereas other people. I know myself, man, like I haven't messed around much with metformin, but I know berberine. If I take too much berberine, there's no chance in hell that I'm getting a pump. There's no way.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so there's you know there's just like like different drugs like name name any over the counter drug or what have you they work they work much better for some people than other people. Yeah, same tr- same's true for pretty much every drug. So these are just drugs. I tell you, it's it's interesting thing you said because I've seen that before that you know um, people say everyone should be taking this. Yeah. And I always like that that always that that usually makes me think, okay, why why would you say that? Is this an essential like like everyone is there are certain vitamins that are essential to the body. Otherwise we know, you know, those are your body can't produce so everyone's gonna need, you know, the B vitamins, let's say. At some point in time, you're gonna run into some problems. If you don't have vitamin C in your diet, you're gonna run into problems. For instance, those sorts of things. But um, what about the guy, you know, what about you? Like if, like everyone, if someone said, ever you, you should t- take Berberine, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you know, there's not a pump coming, you know, for the next <laughs> decade if you do that. Yeah. It tells you something, you know. So it's a wonderful thing to hear for someone who wants to, like, know with black and white certainty what to do. Yes. Um And that's what... But what people like because this is a can be a very complicated confusing thing because everyone's trying to sell you shit everyone's trying to like sell you on their stuff or their ideas or their thoughts and that's what a lot of coaching is is to is to help clear away the muck yeah. good poachers clear away the muck and they keep you from doing stupid shit and you know if you need someone for accountability they do that for you as well and then they help steer you on things that you wouldn't have thought of because they've been around longer than you or they're smarter than you or some combination thereof um, or they just, you know, whatever, they just they just spend more time thinking about these things than you don't want to. But when someone says always do something um that makes that makes me at least think okay, that's a little extreme because there's there's exceptions it seems like to most every rule. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And,
0: and and there is a lot of that. I I you know, I spend a lot of time interacting with uh the people who watch our podcasts at YouTube nowadays. And that, that there is a lot of that, and I think that the number one thing Scott that people get frustrated with about this podcast and you, you know, is you that know. you don't spell it out. You don't you don't put it in there. You know you don't put it into a black and white. You know that you should do this or you should take this much. I think that that, uh, you've irritated some people. They just want the answers, Scott, just give me the answers. Yeah. <laughs> I get it though. Yeah. I get it though. Because it is, right. it is confusing and it is a lot to think about and it would be nice. And man, doesn't it feel good? I know as a podcast listener, I love that feeling when somebody tells me this is what you need to do, you know,
1: exactly. Right. I, I mean, I can always answer if I were you, this is what I would do, you know, and that's pretty yeah. black and white, pretty clear. Um, but it's a lot of time look he's this like the question I I've pulled it up here for myself so I'm going to look at this question again it says i have some clients check-ins and there's and it's helped a lot troubleshooting carbs carb loading when to give high carb insulin if someone's carbs are not high are not high and blood glucose is still above 90 in the morning is it possible they're eating too much protein now I was looking for maybe if there's another angle that we missed on this question but um yeah my guess is that the body fats probably too high so you could you know the bitter melon or berberine a gda will help with that mm-hmm. and the thing that's also probably good too now that i've thought looked at this question again is that for someone who's got a lot of body this isn't true for every everyone but a lot of times people who have a lot of body fat also have a lot of muscle mass and like i said they're going to be able to hold on to that muscle mass more easily hmm. so adding that in if if for instance they have a family history of type 2 diabetes Yeah, Um, then that's may not be a bad thing to keep their blood sugar under control, Um, and and those people with more body fat aren't going to be at risk for losing as muscle muscle mass as much on average. But again, it's an individual deal, you know.
0: All right, listen, let's let's move on here, Scott, because we have yeah. yeah we have another question. Uh, and then we had, uh, possibly, if we, if we have time, there was a thing about uh, L-carnitine that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, but right. I, I've got one little tiny minor question to throw in here, just because it'll be fun. What is one thing Scott can say that every person must do? Just curious what poop. his answer would be.
1: You need poop. what? Poop. Poop? Everyone should poop. I <laughs> think everyone should poop.
0: We just got the tagline for the show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's, if I, like, in the next in the next month please everyone do it once. All right. otherwise you're not gonna make it
0: <laughs> i like it that's good it's true that's good advice that's good advice all right so we, we- I,
1: I, when i was in chinese medical school i had um that's one of my one of my sisters and one of my instructors said this chinese guy yeah um this is when i was in california and he was hilarious his English wasn't that good, but he got everything across. And um, like we were talking about herbs, there's some herbs that help you poop. They're for constipation. Yeah, and he would just say, he would just say that herb, Drano. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Drano?
1: It's like yeah, Drano, like that herbs <laughs> like Drano. It just <laughs> clears out the pipes. So like you got to poop. Pooping's important. Number one, make sure they're pooping. Okay, that herb, Drano. <laughs> so yeah, pooping is important. If someone's pooping good, literally, if someone is a has good, normal, regular belt movements I will go into the the details it's a sign that they're fairly healthy
0: yeah Yeah. you can support our programming by shopping with truenutrition.com they're our title sponsor they've supported us for a number of years they have awesome health and performance supplements you can ask skip or Dusty, or Scott Stevenson, all about true nutrition, and they'll tell you how good of a company they are. Hardcore bodybuilders have trusted them for over 15 years now. Use our code THINK. You'll get some savings. You'll support our programming. If you're in Canada, you can shop with supplementsource.ca. They have highly discounted supplements, discounts on bulk orders, and free shipping over $99. Check them out. And finally, you can directly support our programming on Patreon. I'll have links below for Patreon and everything else. We're taking more questions over there, and I appreciate everybody who's already helping to directly support our programming through our Patreon. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging with me. Let's get back to the show. All right. I left his name out, but I did take a screen capture of this next question. Okay. Hey, Scott. I have a, and this is going to be fun, I think. Uh, I have a quick question about Widowmakers one of my favorite topics, uh, when doing the set, uh, do you hit failure, say at 10 reps, then breathe, uh, and do a few more and repeat until you hit 20 reps or do you stop one rep shy of failure and then breathe and then do a few more reps and so forth. I'm confused. Um, whereas which is correct as i know once you've hit a failure point you're really you've you really take your cns to the limit thanks scott it's going to be fun
1: yeah so the widow maker as the name suggests is if you are married this set is going to make your wife into a widow because you're going to die in doing so yes so you're, you're trying to choose whichever strategy. And this is the thing about what it makes, which makes them so much fun and makes them such an insult to your, your recovery ability is you're trying to get as many reps as you can without putting the weight down. So he described like two kind of strategies. The first one was, you know, basically, um, managing your fatigue and, you remember the bros versus pros thing that they did on RX Muscle? Of course. Of course. Yeah. We're
0: going to have uh, Dave Smith, by the way, big David Smith yeah. on the next episode oh. of Blood, Sweat, and Gear.
1: Oh, sweet.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait for that one. I love that,
1: yeah. dude. I, yeah, me too. I chatted with Dave not too, just like a week or two ago.
0: And he's so strong, uh, and he'd have a lot to say about Widowmakers too, I think. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well,
1: he, was, <laughs> oh, so he, he came up. People Man, I know that he was he was one of the competitors on that. Once, at least once, maybe twice. A
0: couple times, yeah. A
1: couple times, yeah. Just strong as shit. Like full rock. The thing is, I remember when he did it, he didn't win. But his squats, like he covered like twice the range of motion than anyone else. Because literally his ass was like four inches from the ground. Yeah, they
0: were good squats with heavy weight. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I think it was 405 and he did like 29 or some shit like that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, so the idea is that you strategize to get as many reps as you can. Um, which of course means your nervous system takes an absolute beating. Now, another way you could configure a set is what he suggested in that second strategy, but that's that is going to that would be akin to what I've done with fortitude training in setting out how you perform the repetition. So his thought there, I think, if I'm going to paraphrase, you take it till you're one rep shy of failure. So you don't go to a failure rep, you take it to zero reps in reserve, and then you stop until you feel you've got another rep. And that would maybe get you, you know, to where, who knows, you know, you might be able to get three or four that way, and then eventually, depending on the, per- like, say if you're doing a barbell back squat, I tend to have the bar lower the way I squat, my low back would be the the weak link there, eventually, eventually my low back, which is something you're, we're not letting you come up again, um, that would be exercise dependent, so but you'd get fewer reps that way. So the thing about widowmakers that makes them so so splendid is that you get you learn better how to manage your fatigue and get those reps over time. So if you like like go all the way in just like he suggested in that second option almost right to failure, you're not going to have as many reps in the tank no matter how you manage after that. But if you go in and leave, you know, four or five, maybe three or four get yourself a nice break and then bang out two or three and, and sort of avoid getting too close to the zero reps and reserve mark until you have no choice because the fatigue has just gotten so great. You're going to get many more reps that way. So you get end up getting more probably effective reps with that. Um, Make this as hard as you can. And literally the thing that I've thought that I've told people, you probably, we said this before on the podcast is that, You literally, people should see you if they, if they see you do this, they watch you and they think that guy is on a suicide mission. He's trying to kill himself because he, it's like he, he wants to die under the bar today.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and I've actually taken that mindset and said, this is it. I am going to go, this is, this is the last thing that I'm going to do in this life. I'm gonna I'm gonna prove who the fuck I am right now. Pardon my French, and make this shit happen. And so the the nuances of that, like the why you like this is so interesting because you this came up as a memory that you sent me. Yes, when you did a, a four <laughs> training muscle round and basically the series of like mini wit- widowmakers in doing that, and um, I had uh, a couple people on Instagram tagged me on stories one just literally happened today okay uh i got tagged on one and they were doing muscle rounds in that very similar way so what i noticed in you know a, a decade of experience doing Widowmakers, almost pretty much by the time i came with fortitude training is that there's um a trade-off there between how much muscle stimulation you get and how much central nervous stimulation you get so most people who've done like standard dc training and they've gotten to where you know they've done it for six nine 12 months or even years and they've refined that technique of eking as many reps out as possible with the widowmaker, especially with back squats or a a, type of squatting movement you realize you once you do one of those like there's not much left like the quality of you're not going to do you could mean you could do a second one you could just keep doing them but your performance is just you're pretty much shot and it's such a drop in performance. A lot of that is probably the nervous system. Mm. And I can go through other lines of, of um, evidence, so to speak, as to why I think this is. But like, even once you, you're training along, you hit a really true failure point. You could rest ten minutes and come back, and something's it's
0: still not there. the same. Yeah, it's
1: still not the same. And you know, some of that can be primary muscle damage to the muscle, but I think the nervous system just takes a whack. So the idea that you know that's underneath all the set types in fortitude training and that we talked about way back when when you did that first muscle round, is that you want to try to eke out as much volume of high-quality training and thus stimulus to the muscle, so as much muscle loading as possible, relative to the unavoidable, to some degree, central nervous stimulation, whacking of your of your, of your your CNS. So if you, the more relative reps and volume that's high-quality you can do without reaching that zero reps in reserve or where you're, just grinding and grinding and grinding the thing you might consider is what if i did eight reps where i left one rep in reserve you might be able to do that and literally and never hit failure point as and it it take the similar state of fatigue when you start off and maybe you do end up doing like five reps but you do uh those you're doing like lily widowmaker, where you, like you do one rep at a time, and then you wait five, six, seven seconds. You do another one. You might get uh, another five reps compared to those eight reps, but you've just been right at the brink of failure five, four or five times, and you might be able to do another set where you never go within one um, anything anything less than one rep in reserve you could get eight good, high-quality reps and then do another set that way. Get eight good, high-quality reps as long as you just don't quite go to failure, maybe you have one failure point at the end. So that when you're doing all those, when you do a Widowmaker like that, those are high-quality reps, but your nervous system gets whacked. So the idea with, with fortitude training is the, the rule for all the set types is that the reps are continuous. So you don't take those pauses because those those pauses, like... You know this. You're, you, you can tell like you're going to fail if you do another rep and then try the one after that. That's it. You're done. Yeah, so yeah. You, you just take a you take a little break, and you can eke a lot of reps out that way. It's all like what you're willing to you know willing to do, and you get in the right machine like that hack squat that you were on that leverage hack squat.
0: Yeah, it was like a yeah like a V squat or whatever it would yeah, you call squat, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I remember that. I looked at that set, and and just to clue anybody in who hadn't heard the story, I. I thought I was doing a muscle round where there's only one failure point. I, I I now understand what a muscle round is supposed to be, but at the time I just thought it was four reps, then a break, then four reps, then a break and four reps and then a break. But my, I, I was, I was, just getting as many reps you know if i could get three and then take a break and then get one more and then rack it and then take my you know take my break and then get two and then struggle and get one that whole set took like four minutes yeah you know yeah, it was i failed on that probably a dozen times you know what i mean
1: or, or, or you would have failed if you tried another rep but yes you, rested, you never did so you truly had a one failure point you did follow the, the regulations <laughs> But the continuous rep part would have made for a totally different deal. Oh, yeah. Like you do – like you could have – like the way you did it, that was it. You're done. Yeah. You're not going to go do anything else. But you could have done a a muscle round the way I set them up where the reps are continuous. Mm -hmm. So that means basically the weight's moving the entire time unless you need to readjust. And then when you reach failure, like literally you'll know it's coming. Like you'll get to a point in the muscle round, people who don't know, you're doing sets of four – with five deep breaths or 10 seconds either way depending a lot of times with the legs it's easier to look at a watch because your breaths don't they don't reliably tell you um how long to rest because you start breathing so fast yeah and the once you when you're doing the reps the reps are continuous there's no pausing in between so you get after you, if you want to pick a weight you can get list three of those sets of four and then fail in the fourth fifth or sixth but the failure has to happen when the reps are continuous so let's say you, you fail in the fifth so you, so you do rep 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 you fail that's it you're done there's no that could have been the way you did it would have been rep 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 yeah and then another rep and you probably would have gotten four in the next one they would have been one at a time yeah it would have taken you 30 seconds yeah but you would have done it um and there's there's absolute validity to that that's how the the widow, widow makers are. But even even in, Don, in DC training with Dante, notice he doesn't have like every you know, doesn't have you just do widow makers. No like, wi- widow. Yeah, it's like, that's, it's the like widow maker. that's the crescendo. That's the crescendo. You know exactly. That's it's like a challenge set from a John Meadows program too. Yeah, so you can only use those. It's kind of like a trump card. You don't want to use those too often because you just there's something to be had from them, but they usually they're done at the end of the workout. A widow maker will be done at the end of the workout. Yeah. So yeah. So that's, that's the thing is, is they're, they're continuous like that. And what that means is that you've also standardized, you're not getting more reps because you come up with a better fatigue avoidance strategy. So it's not like, you know, Oh, this time, instead of doing 15 right off the bat, I'm going to do just 12. And then I'm gonna do sets of three sets, try to do three sets of three and then two sets of two. Um, so like, oh, I got twenty four reps this time. I only got twenty two the last time. It's like, yeah, but you just did, you did them differently. You segmented them differently. It took you like an extra thirty seconds. That's why. But if you're doing your reps continuously, then your progress isn't a function of how you stretched out the workload. So you're actually your your power. We're not doing. There's really no power because you lift up and down. But your concentric power could actually be less when you get more reps. You could have had. What is not really, a, in a certain sense, a better performance? It's just you made it easier for yourself hmm. intentionally by strategizing how you perform the reps throughout the course of the Widowmaker. Yeah. So when you do them continuously like that, and you know now, like when you do this, this is the hardest thing for me. I'm totally used to it. The hardest thing is like it's like walking off a cliff. Like I say, you're just you're doing the rep. You're like you know the fatigue. You know the failure points coming. And You just say fuck it. I'm going right at you. Just walk, boom, right into it. And, and you try to walk through it, of course. But when you hit failure, you hit failure.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's the. I love that thinking. analogy. I use that. I I hear you in my head when I'm doing that, and I just say that. I say to myself, just walk off the cliff. Yeah. I like that a lot. You just
1: go. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's the that's the thing you know about Widowmakers. If you're doing them like the way that Dante's, and Dante really didn't he didn't come up with that terminology that was being used before, but he by far has made that like people associated that with, with a with DC training for sure. That's basically whatever you can do to make it happen. And eventually, you know, you will find a pretty optimal fatigue avoidance strategy and you will be able to get, so you're, if that's not the thing that's changing, not just getting better at doing widow makers, you're actually getting your, your performance ability is getting better because the muscle is growing. Um, but it takes some time. But, and the thing is about, you know, that the thing too, about widow makers, it's, you know, nice because we don't want to just poop who widow makers. I fucking love doing them. They're the best. It, yeah. They're awesome. Is they make everything else so much easier. So you, you, you learn how hmm. brutal training can be. Yeah. And, uh, then you know normal sets are are you know easier to a certain degree when you don't try to employ that strategy when you just do continuous reps, but yep. it is that is a problem especially if you're using a logbook for tracking, oh. um, that you're changing how you're executing the sets your your just your rep speed makes a difference in how many reps you get, mm-hmm. um, so when you start changing those things around range of motion rep speed just general technique, um, you know how much body English you're throwing all that kind of shit but the 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 how you spread out the reps can make a big difference as to what goes on in the logbook and then you don't have a very good tracking tool in the logbook. Hmm. Yeah. Not keeping those things consistent. Yeah.
0: Well listen, uh do we have time to uh maybe dive into that, that thing about All okay. All right. Let me see here. So this was from Chase Irons. And uh by the way guys, Chase Irons has his own YouTube channel. So if you get a chance, go check him out. He's got some cool stuff. Uh I, I saw he's building a gym uh right now. And he Ooh. did like a little like a like a, a vlog type video where he went and checked the space yeah. out. So good luck to him with I'll that. And um He's talking about using massive doses of L-carnitine. So the previous episode we talked about L-carnitine, and take-home notes for me were that uh, for somebody that has low thyroid, uh, taking orally about two grams a day is going to help potentially with that. And if somebody has high th- thyroid, <laughs> taking about two cr- grams a day is going to help with that, that. That there there might be a kind of like a, a sweet spot, a middle ground. That you can get a good effect from L-carnitine, but uh, it, looking at the study Scott had, that taking too much might not. More is maybe not. More is maybe not better. But that relates right. to his question here. He says uh, I, I've used much L-carnitine, injected five hundred, a thousand, two thousand, three bills, three grand, three grand daily. I am sub Q in IV. Uh, I've seen uh, great results and benefits from it. I used it all through contest prep and got the leanest that I've ever been. My question is, what does it matter if L-carnitine blocks some, he has in all caps, some of thyroid hormones functions if we still are able to increase fat burning and endurance while using large amounts of L-carnitine versus not using it at all and thyroid is able to perform all of its functions what's the negative to it blocking some of thyroid hormones actions when it makes up for it by improving fat burning endurance mental clarity and so on
1: so the last question is a loaded one the when he said when it makes up for it um we'll get to that in a second so the devil's in the details. The sum of those functions is sort of where the heart of this matter lies. And I, I when I heard that question, I, it makes me think I didn't do a very good job of explaining but I and then I thought, you know, it's just because it's so damn complicated. It's part of the problem. So here's the thing, you can kind of put the the actions of thyroid into two boxes. One, what we know that it does on on the target organs that it affects is it stimulates Metabolism. So, if you become hypothyroid, your metabolism goes low. If you're hyperthyroid, metabolism can become runaway, and it's very common thing. Someone tries to, as an emergency measure, take extra thyroid when they're already very low in muscle mass, and losing muscle mass is an easy thing to do, and they lose you know 20 pounds in three weeks, and it's almost all muscle, and they look, they look terrible. So. There's the metabolic effects, and then there's the effects of thyroid um, in regulating itself because it's, a, it's part of an endocrine system, a homeostatic endocrine system. And that's the crazy part about this is that in, for instance, people with hyperthyroidism, you can use typical oral doses, two grams or less, and treat the side effects the, the rapid pulse rate, um, insomnia, the metabolic rate that's runaway, hyperthermia, those sorts of things that come with what we call a thyroid storm or someone who's got a runaway hyperthyroidism with a small amount of L-carnitine. But it, you don't see any effect on what's going on in the blood work. If there's a problem there, for instance, they've got an overproduction of TSH that doesn't get affected. So that's the sum of those effects. And what that means then is L-carnitine can have a negative effect on thyroid's um, driving of metabolism that doesn't show up in blood work. So you don't normally the blood work would tell you, okay, this is, this is where my T3 is, this is where my TSH is, everything looks normal. Thyroid, as far as I can tell, is doing its job, but it only does its job once it gets into the cell nucleus, where it can impact genes that are involved with metabolism. So it's kind of like, all right, it's kind of like a a security check. Normally, the blood work would be your security check on thyroid. When it's about to go into the room, which is the nucleus of the cells, and do its job, and it comes in, you check it, it's got no weapons, you ask it what it's supposed to do, you're good to go, thyroid looks great. And then when it and then you, and then you set it on its way and then L-carnitine s- s- jumps in right there and, and shoots, uh, shoots thyroid dead. You know, can't do anything. Totally blocks its ability to go into the room and do its job. Well, your checkpoint doesn't pick up any of that because it's looking the other way. It sees nothing. And that's the thing. So that's sort of the basic idea, but here's the interesting thing. And this is, I could go through the whole podcast again, but the interesting thing <laughs> is. There, it has, it has, no, please don't. I don't, I mean, don't have I the mental ability on. to
0: process that again.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, won't, I won't do that. Um, it, there is, obviously, we know we shift towards more fat use, and um, we don't know what the dose response is in terms of how um, L-carnitine affects thyroid's actions. So it could be that it's mainly an impact when you're hyperthyroid. We know it's a very, very powerful impact. Literally, it just totally blocks the, the like, life-threatening effects of hyperthyroidism when someone's in thyroid storm. But you see up to about that 2,000 milligram per day, at least sort of meta-analytically and looking at the big picture, that up to that amount helps with fat loss, probably by shifting to, to, to greater fat use. So more of your fuel, if you're in a caloric deficit, comes from fat, that's a good thing so the problem is and this is the thing i don't know if chase and no you know no accusations here but um the problem is that uh it could actually be a good thing to be using he may have been using thyroid at the same time while he's using the L-carnitine.
0: he's watching right now so chase tell us yeah were you using any type of thyroid hormone with this he'll answer this for us
1: yeah let me go look here on facebook you know he's watching.
0: Yes, there's a there's a twenty second leg Yes, he so was. Yes, he was. I see yeah. that.
1: Okay, so so there so that makes so that makes sense. I guess that Chase. Ch- Ch- actually, I'm glad you're here. This is um, okay.
0: Twenty five micrograms of T three and hundred T four.
1: Yeah. So one of the things, to my knowledge, it's not affected. Is the um, Deionization from t4 to t three so that mm. would have still that would have been effectively increasing the action of or the, the amount of t three that he has being t four that's being converted and the amount of t three he has available so that would have that would have offset to some degree because that's kind of that's about how much t three your body produces sort of at a baseline level in terms of t three and that's about how much t four you get so that would have offset Some of a negative impact of L-carnitine potentially, and here's the thing that I don't know about it's it's this is why it's this is kind of so interesting and so cool and confusing at the same time, is that up to that 2,000 milligrams it doesn't seem like to be any noticeable um, impact on metabolic rate because it still helps with fat loss, but once you go once your thyroid levels are higher or once your L-carnitine goes higher and we see that there's no Improved fat loss with more than two thousand milligrams from the meta-analysis. That's where we don't know relatively how much L-carnitine can impact. Hmm. So that use of thyroid that he was could have very well, in some of those circumstances. I don't know about the three thousand milligrams a day thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Part, I really don't know because that's yeah. you know that's such a range too.
0: Yeah, it is a range.
1: That, but that would have been could have been offsetting to some degree. Um, the binding is probably that L-carnitine binds the T3 in some way and just prevents its entry in, um, in that manner. But this the mechanisms haven't been elucidated as far as I know. Hmm. So that's the thing that maybe um, and Chase maybe not have noticed this, but the thing that I've heard from a couple of people is that they they find that they have they do better with a higher T3 when they're using L-carnitine than when they're not. Or that's sort of been a trend that sort of made sense of them in retrospect hmm. that's just totally anecdotal and it's just a couple of people so let' see if yeah, I haven't seen a response from them there on that but that would be the interesting thing you know and the the way and I've even thought you know this would be a simple study to do you could do metabolic rate measurements this could actually be done uh, done acutely hmm. you know you take someone and um, you do a baseline pre um, pre-L-carnitine metabolic rate measurement. and yeah. then
0: it says the only side effects I noticed when I got to 3,000 was I started to ex- experience insomnia after a few days.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: But you're saying you could yeah. you could check your oh. metabolic rate? Yeah,
1: yeah, you just measure metabolic rate, um, indirect calorimetry, and uh, and then load them up for a week and bring them back in again. Hmm. Um you could measure it like after a, a a singular load or like after a day's worth of loading um sorry, I've got a dog over here that's kind of panting oh, gosh. she's having a dream no she's oh. having a dream i was make she's been a little sick, so I'm just kind of concerned about her yeah um so and that would be one way to kind of get at this and see you know more directly what happens and just use mounts that are higher than what typically people would take in so. Yeah. Simple way to simple thing to measure, but um, yeah. Uh, Chase, does that help answer the question that you had? Let's see if he. Well, he says yeah. uh,
0: it would be an interesting study to perform.
1: He might not. Yeah, and, he'll,
0: he hasn't caught that yet. There's a leg. So yeah,
1: yeah, right. here behind I'll, us. I'll say this though, kind of to answer his question there at the end, is that um, there's probably a give and take. Uh, where more L-carnitine means could be mean more fat loss, so there's some dose response there. And when you get to some point, you, maybe that extra thyroid has to be in place mm. to offset the fact that you're blocking thyroid's actions. Um, and eventually, you, so you you know those two things could be waging war against one another at higher doses. So you could you know triple your L-carnitine, you may have to triple your L- thyroid, you end up with kind of the same place. You still got better fat burning. Not that much better, um, but eventually, too much L carnitine, at least from the studies and the case studies with with um, hyperthyroidism, yeah. suggests that you can really block your thyroid and prevent your thyroid um, hormone from having its action. So, what that means, of course, if let's say you, you block thyroid actions to the extent that you reduce your, meta, your resting metabolic rate, so your baseline. A metabolism, energy expenditure by five hundred calories a day, and your diet and your expenditure, everything would set be set up to have a five thousand sorry, not five thousand five hundred calories a day, and that's going to be your caloric deficit. Would be that five hundred calories. Well, now the excess L-carnitine, which isn't loading L-carnitine in the cell anymore, you can only load so much. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this in the uh, in the podcasts in the article, but literally. To account for the turnover of L-carnitine in the whole body, it's about fifteen milligrams, maybe twenty or thirty milligrams per day, in a large muscular bodybuilder. You
0: did mention that, yeah,
1: yeah. So, in context, you know, two hundred is a lot. Yeah. So you're probably you can only load and enhance at least if we're looking at this through the through the lens of helping with the the L-carnitine acyltransferase enzyme which is bringing fat into the mitochondria for oxidation, um, you're only going to support that so much. You can only load so much creatine. You can only load so much L-carnitine. But you could potentially block your thyroid and then do away with the caloric deficit because you've reduced your metabolic rate. Hmm, Um, And that's something people could offset by using more thyroid. And a couple people have said they noticed that. So he may have responded.
0: Yep, he said certainly helped clear things up. Thanks. And he also he's he's a huge fan. So we appreciate you, man. Oh, says, uh, right. I remember yeah. you mentioning that. And I was like, WTF was going on with me and over a gram then. That's yeah. a lot of L-carnitine, man. But yeah, I mentioned yeah. Uh, Chase has his own uh, YouTube guy, so go check him out. He actually is a lot bigger than us. So you know we're we're promoting you guys to go see him, but he's got more people than us anyway. So he doesn't he doesn't need our promotion, but right. <laughs> there's that.
1: So, so yeah, hopefully that kinda clears some of it up. So but it's I really I really don't know. It's sort of like the thing that like we were talking about before, it's sort of like L carnitine has such a powerful effect on thyroid in those situations where it's there's hyperthyroid yeah. that it's like this is just something people should be aware of. And even like with, with metformin, glucophage, you know, we're talking about it has different effects, different people. Yeah. There could very well be some variability here. Hmm. Um, Resting levels of creatin varied. Extent to which people there are non responders to and there can be non responders. There can be hyper responders potentially to L carnitine. Huh. Those things haven't been fleshed out, um, and we don't know the mechanism specifically whereby L carnitine prevents thyroid hormone from entering into the nucleus. So we don't even know what the hell it's how it's doing what it does. Yeah. So there could be something there that is highly variable amongst individuals along those. Um, you know those mechanisms. Right so on. a lot of unknowns, but it just feels like ah, look, something's burning over there. We should pay attention. There's a big, you know, smoke <laughs> smoky thing over there that's that's worth worth looking at. Yeah. So
0: well, this is uh all we got for you guys. Head on over to you know, we talked about fortitude training today. Uh, you can go to fortitudetraining.net or just go to byobbcoach.com, it'll all take you to Scott's book and to his training plan. And You can get the hardcover of the book over at Amazon, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. It really is like a one stop book to cover your entire year. I'll tell you that. It, it you you've you really did that is like your uh. That is your what? What would be what would be, uh, what would be a, a word to like describe your accumulations of knowledge in life put into one package? What would be oh, a brain,
1: A brain dump.
0: Okay, there you go. That's the Scott Stevenson yeah. brain dump. Uh, guys, check check out our sponsors too. Of course, if you're in Canada, uh, check out SupplementSource.ca. They've got a bunch of really good deals. You can get your Ephedrine for like two fifty for a pouch of them. Plus, they have. Um, a lot of really good high, like, uh, top name brand supplements, uh, mutant and everything else. And you can get highly discounted deals on that stuff. And of course, we also talked about a little bit about Dante, a little bit about DC training. Check out, uh, true nutrition.com, the creator of DC training. He also has his supplement company, which has been a long time, uh, sponsor of our programming. I'm super grateful for that. I, he's, that's the company I had wanted to have as some type of a sponsor in my life for like a decade before True Nutrition was even part, before I even podcasted, honestly. So I couldn't be happier to have them on board with us. It's a company I truly believe in. And if you shop using our code THINK, then you will help to support our programming. Guys, uh, we appreciate you tuning in and being open-minded to all of Scott's thoughts. And Scott, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts, man. This is... uh, this this show it, it, it's changed my life. It's changed my training. Like, I, and I'm not just saying that to like be like, oh man, you're so great, but like really, that little thing we talked about today with with uh, uh, muscle rounds, and then I yeah. learned about the difference uh, about CNS failure versus muscular failure, and it it really helped me to then explore and take my training just understanding that helped me to take my training to a completely different place over the next several years and it was thanks Mm -hmm. to having that education that i got through talking to you so there's that
1: thank you man that's what i'm trying to do you know that's part of my mission is just uh spill dump the brain and hopefully there are some pieces that people find (laughs) worth picking up well, we appreciate oh, it, man. We up.
0: we get a lot of we get a lot of feedback like that too. There's a lot of people who appreciate you doing this, so thank you very much. And guys, we appreciate you tuning in. We will see you soon.